everyone. Welcome back to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for once again joining me on another journey across the podcast airwaves. Uh, I truly appreciate it. And this is going to be a great episode. Um, but before I get into the true cold open of this episode, uh, I definitely want to say thank you to our listeners and subscribers uh, over the last few years. I totally appreciate you listening in and and I'm glad that I can bring runner stories and people stories to you and you can learn from them. Uh, it's been fun for me. At this moment, I'm going to be bumping the podcast back to a twice monthly instead of a weekly. You know, over the last, I don't know, month, a few weeks, uh, my schedule has really picked up for the better um, with the number of events that we are doing, uh, consulting and producing. And I don't have a chance to really do as much as I really want to with the podcast anymore. So I do want to continue and I want to keep bringing stories uh, to you. I keep wanting to talk to people. So we are going to structure the episodes now on a twice monthly basis. They will be released on the 15th and the 30th or 31st, the last day of the month, depending on that month. So you'll be getting two episodes per month now. And hopefully that just allows me to expand on the conversations as well and not uh, feel like conversations need to stick to the 45-minute window. So um, anyway, with that being said, let's just get right into this. Uh, My next guest is a race director for one of the coolest ultras you're going to find. I think I would love to go up there and check it out at one point in time. It is the Crazy Mountain 100. It is up in Montana. It goes across native lands. It starts and finishes out on private ranches, goes onto trails that are not normally trafficked by by foot traffic and runners. So it makes it for a very unique experience for the runner. And I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation because I learned so much about this event going into it. I didn't even do any research going into it because I wanted to hear everything from Megan firsthand. So it was a really great conversation uh, with with Megan DeHaan, the, the race director. And, and if you ever get a chance to go up there, they do about 100 to 150 runners only. It's a Western States qualifier, so they've got a lot of stuff going on for this event. Uh, so let's just get right into it. Welcome to the Trail Life, Megan DeHaan. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. quite curious you're not only a race director but you're a rancher yeah so that's where i kind of want to start the conversation is kind of your current position as a rancher and how that relates to you being a race director how did that how did this all come to be because i before and i don't even know i think i was actually on instagram just kind of messing around one day and something came up about the crazy mountain 100 and that's when I kind of started looking into it. So I don't know anything about this event whatsoever. And I've done, uh, to be honest, I've done minimal research because I've really, as a race director myself, I love hearing how the races get started and, and the, the, what the course is all about and, and, you know, and being up in Montana and going across indigenous land and stuff, it's for me, it's quite interesting to hear all of the stuff. So I'm, kind of wanted to hear it firsthand from you instead of trying to 
do all of my background research reading about it because it's like it, this is kind of a unique uh, experience with private lands and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, let's. I'd love to hear how you got into this and and being a rancher. You have you been doing this because I'm in Montana. It's a lot of generational ranchers and stuff. So what's what's the backstory? No, my uh, it's on my husband's side. So my husband's fourth generation cattle ranching, and uh, so I married into it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I wouldn't say race directing fits into that well. Oh, exactly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's just kind of uh, something we make work ish. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's tough. We uh, the only time I could really hold the race that I felt comfortable with the weather and whatnot was in July. And that's one of our busiest times of year, second to to calving. So if I would have said I'm leaving during calving, that would have been a lot bigger of an argument than, than <laughs> in the middle of haying season. So we settled on July because I can't I can't hold the race in the middle of snow. So no, uh, in. <laughs> it's already treacherous enough as people have come to find out with hailstorms and lightning. So, <laughs> wow. so where did the idea uh, of this come about since? Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that, that's a really long story. Um, I've got I've time. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, the 20 minute version compressed into five. Uh, I started running a long time ago and um, just kind of, the natural progression of running farther. I'm sure most people can understand that. Um, you just knock off a distance and keep going and keep going. Um, and so that's kind of what happened to me. Um, and then I found myself in the hundred mile world and, um, I actually paced people before I ran hundred miles myself. Cause I was just intrigued. Um, and so kind of over time, you know, went and did 50 and then, okay, maybe I could do 120 K and then okay, maybe it's time to start trying a hundred myself. So that's kind of the, the progression of getting into that kind of space. But in the yeah. meantime, um, when, you know, when you're looking for hundred milers, I just noticed that there wasn't any in Montana. Um, and it made no sense to me because we have some of, well, I can't, don't come here. It's not, it's not great running. No, <laughs> <laughs> we have the worst mountains ever. Well, that's, that's, that's gotta be the hard thing, right? It's like, once you get to a, a spot that you love running, you, you want people yeah. to experience it, but you don't want too many people to come and experience yes, it. Right? Yes. <laughs> you don't have to be overcrowded. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, so I just kind of looked around and there was a hundred miler in, uh, I want to say it was pony. I can't remember the name of it, but there was one there, but it just never really took off. And then it, kind of halted in this in its existence and i had friends that ran that one um but um so it's been years since there's been anything and even before that it wasn't really like a big uh race so i just kind of went to the drawing board and started looking around and seeing where i could put one together and luckily for our state i found out that a lot of our mountains are wilderness protected and so that's I think one of the main reasons why no one's really put together a good, hard mountainous race is because most of those mountains are protected and the forest won't permit you in wilderness protected areas. So it's a catch 22 while it's good. It it's also kind of sucks, but it's still good. Like that's, that's why I can go run 
in the Spanish peaks and not see 500 people running through it's because they're protected. And so, um, it's good and bad. So, um, I ended up landing on the crazies because I was, had dumb ideas, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, it was the most unlikely chance of being able to piece this together because for someone who doesn't know the crazies is, well, it was part of the crow reservation way back in the day before, you know, the government scaled back and took all the land back Mm -hmm. um, after it was given or not given, obviously we know how that goes. Um, But uh, over time, the crazies kind of came or it, it was removed from that allotted land and uh, in the meantime, and I don't know the years that it happened, but they were building the railroad through there. And so they ended up doing land exchanges uh, in the crazies to get railroad land. And that's what created this massive checkerboard system in the mountain mm. range. And it's ridiculous because like the peaks are privately owned. <laughs> so oh. they're just... 640 acre sections and they're all checkerboarded between forest service and private land. Oh my and God. so it created this mass and it's heartbreaking to know that like, that's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what, I don't know what they were thinking back then. It's like, they, they must've thought the land was worthless or something at the time because yeah. oh, no one will build, you know, on this mountain peak, it's worthless land. They had no idea what, um, the significance of, you know, these mountain ranges were mm-hmm. to the native people in the area. So, I mean, I could, I could elaborate on that, but it would take another 10 hours. Um, <laughs> but in a gist, that's kind of what the crazies are. Um, it's a lot of checkerboarded and there's been a lot of um, land swaps that have gone through uh, conservation kind of oriented ones to try to mm-hmm. get some of that checkerboard out of there. So then you, you will see ch- uh, kind of tracks of lands that are more solid, but that's, um, due to uh, landowners willing to give up land and swap land and kind of make the inside of the crazy range more um, solid for forest service yeah. use. So, um, yeah, so that was a challenge. <laughs> so how, so how, like, how long did it take you to navigate through a lot of that and in, in figuring out the checkerboard system and, and, I mean, because that doesn't happen overnight, right? It, it had to have been. No, it, it took me two years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um. Lots of. Lots of things went into that. Um. I, you know, I first bought some maps, some local maps, and I started just routing places that I would like to go. Um. Which has so many challenges in itself because some of those trails aren't; they don't exist. Um. They might oh, yeah. say they're a Forest Service trail, but you get there and they're not there. And some areas you might get shot at if you're trying to go there because those trails are not there and you're trespassing. So (laughs) it was fun. I didn't get shot at, but uh, (laughs) um, I did get screamed at a few times. Um, Luckily, not by any of the people that I now get along with. But uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was just kind of drawing out maps, going and checking out spots. I've been there a few times before and, you know, I know the area pretty well at that point. Um, But uh, and I used to work 
uh, in that range years ago. Um, so a lot of that figuring out which trails actually existed and then how to put those trails together, because that's the other issue is access into the crazies. There is access, but it's limited, which again is good and bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it keeps people out of there, um, to overrun the place, which I like, um, but it's also hard to get in there. So, um, just kind of started making phone calls, um, started asking landowners kind of permission or advice or, Hey, this is what I'm doing. Um, it really helped that I could start with. I am a local cattle rancher. I live I over there. Ask, yeah. Um, I understand what I'm asking you is not something yeah. that if I got a phone call, I'd be very hesitant about. Um, well, it'd be some like, like me coming from California being like, Hey, by the way, guys, I'm, this is what I'm looking at doing. Can I, come, can I come no. through you? Yeah, exactly. hundred <laughs> percent. So the local, the local rancher feel must made those conversations a little bit easier to start. I should, I I would think. Yeah, for sure. A lot, a lot easier. I would have, I'm positive. I would have gotten a no if it wasn't for what my last name was. Um, yeah. And the more, I mean, the more people can get to know me, the more they realize that I I have a very diverse kind of background. Um, and so I just, I can bring a lot to the table. I'm a bow hunter. I'm a cattle rancher. I'm an ultra runner. I love conservation. I love uh, protecting the spaces that we're in. Uh, my husband's family has one of the largest and first conservation easements in the area. Um, like I get the layers of all of these things put together mm-hmm. and it just, I, I, I try to, I try to look for solutions where otherwise you wouldn't find them um, without trying to be super one-sided one way or the other. So yeah. that's kind of what I brought into putting this thing together is how can I use all of the things that I know about all these different people groups and and groups and this and that and, um, how can I use all of that together and create this race that kind of represents really what a lot of people in Montana who are underrepresented represent and it, and it kind of worked out to my advantage. Yeah. So the, so the race starts and finishes on private, private ranch property. Is that correct? Yep. And then it goes through uh, indigenous land and yep. i'm gonna try i'm gonna try and pronounce this correctly is it absolutely absolutely okay god man i wasn't close <laughs> i shouldn't even have tried i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> no it's, it's fine the, there was a lot of uh <laughs> i've asked a lot of friends uh to properly pronounce it for me so yeah. you're good and i'm not even gonna even pronounce the 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 mountain range at all <laughs> that one <laughs> because that was fun. I, I, I read it on the I, I read it on the on the website. I'm like, I'm not even gonna attempt. <laughs> <laughs> it's our Howie Pia. Yeah, exactly. See. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I, I want to get to the to the course itself here in a second, but like how was it going to the indigenous people and, and talking to them about using their lands as well? Is that kind of the same type of conversation of Hey, I'm a local rancher. This is what we're trying to do. This is where we're going to be going. Like, how do those conversations work out for you? Yeah. So it that was rather 
painless to be honest. Cause, uh, I already am. So I was on the board of another race. I, st- well, now I'm one of the tri race directors for the Bridger Ridge run. And so our old race director, before he retired, um, I was talking to him about these ideas that I was having. And, um, he told me that he was good friends with a man named Shane Doyle. And he was kind of like a local respected, uh, crow. And he is really, really good friends with him. And so I was like, well, that like, I would love to pick his brain and see how this would land, um, and how to do it respectfully and make sure my biggest concern was I didn't want to put runners through a trail that had significance to the extent of you were, Oh, what's the word? Not defaming, but you were just you weren't being respectful to the area. So I didn't like I didn't know if there were artifacts or um, special areas that were sacred that the act of running through would be something that would be frowned upon. So I ended up just reaching out to him and um, starting a relationship there. And we're now we're pretty good friends now. So he um, he's actually the guy that came and did the um, the opening prayer for the race in the inaugural year. He was supposed to do it this year, but he got the dates wrong and he emailed me like two days before the race. And he's like, I am so sorry. I am out of town. I completely got the dates wrong. So he'll be, he'll be back next year. But um, we just kind of sat down over coffee and had the conversation of like, how can I do this respectfully? Um, How can I be um, a good steward of what I'm, what I'm trying to do? And, you know, we went through maps and looked through the ideas and he was completely on board and he wanted to help and mm-hmm. um, just kind of, you know, over time building that relationship and figuring out what the best best next steps would be. Yeah. So it it starts in Wilsall, correct? And it finishes yep. in Lenape. Is that right? Lenape. So Lenape is a ghost town technically. So on the map, you probably have to, go, it would probably show up as Martinsdale. Well, I'm pretty sure it does. But I always use Lenape because it's more fun. Um, and it's it's literally a ghost town. There's there's a church okay. and like two other buildings. So where <laughs> where was where is Wilsall in, in conjunction with everything? Yeah, I, I guess it'd be southwest of the course is where it starts, um, just outside of Livingston. And it's yeah, Cattle Ranch, local Westlings uh run that. And and you kind of go up through the most treacherous parts of the race course right off the bat. Um, that's kind of by design. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want anyone going through that in the middle of the dark, which is the catch 22 because most people still go down sunlight in the dark, which <laughs> is by far the most treacherous part of the race, but it's going to be that way anyways, if you're coming from the other direction. And then once you leave sunlight, then you're going to hit all of those massive peaks. Yeah in the middle of the dark. So it's just choose your, choose your poison at that point. Um, but it definitely is safer to go, um, the direction we go, but, uh, yeah, it starts in there and kind of goes through all the biggest, most exposed, uh, peaks and ranges. Um, it's my favorite part of the whole race, um, is within the first 60 miles. Um, and then you, you just asking where it ends or you want me to go through oh, it. <laughs> so let's, let's, let's look at this from a, because I, I, I think it's from somebody who's 
who doesn't know anything about the race, right? Or let's say I'm an ultra runner looking to do my next 100 and I want to do it somewhere where I've never done it before. Okay. Right. So let's look at it from that perspective. If I'm a runner getting ready to sign up for this, like, where am I, where am I traveling into? Because you're, you guys are out in the middle of nowhere. Right. And so where am I traveling into? Like, what, what can I expect when I arrive on site again, because we're on private land. So what, what do people see and expect when, when that, when they get there, because usually typically you show up, you know, you, there's a huge parking lot, there's, you know, an arch sitting up there, whatever it is, you know, vendors and everything else, right. Registration tents. So, so what's that experience for the runners being on, you know, again, private land. And then as you go through the course um, and finishing up in the ghost town aspect yeah yeah because that's got to be kind of a cool feeling too that you're finishing up in this ghost town where there's not really anything going on and and what's what's that experience like for them because i'd love for i'd love this again this is why i do this because i love being able to talk to runners and race directors like to find out about new new things and events that maybe people haven't heard of for because i mean it's also you guys are a western states qualifier yeah yeah and so yeah. And so that's a huge thing from, from the ultra world. So, so yeah, let's look at it from, from that angle. Um, as far as me signing up for your race, not knowing anything about it. First off, this is not an easy race. Uh, do not think that this is a very smart choice for your first hundred. Um, I have a lot of people that do, um, your chances of finishing are very low. And I will just say that from the last two years, the people that sign up for this for their first year hundred usually do not make it. Um, there's a chance, but it's very, it's significantly a lower percentage. Um, it's just, a, is there, is there a, uh, what's your cutoff? Yes. Time? We have, a, so we have a qualifier and a cutoff. It's a 36 hour cutoff, okay. which is very steep. Um, you can't walk, you can't walk this race at all. Like you have to, you can obviously hike it. You're going to be hiking the uphills, but you have to make up time on the downhills and the downhills are almost equally as hard as the uphills because the footing is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Now we're talking. Shale. <laughs> there's rocks everywhere. There's maybe I want to say 15 miles of this course are what I would consider runnable <laughs> for <laughs> ease of pace. For us in Montana, most of it's runnable, but that's just because. Montana just has a very unique uh, trail vibe to it, I guess. I don't know. If you're in Montana and you're a trail runner, you're kind of used to like, it's like running on the Spanish peaks for all of you that live here that you know what I mean. Um, it's just very technical, hard running. Um, so yeah, you you have to run a 50 mile qualifier, which I go back and forth with that every year. I really think it should be a hundred mile qualifier, but I want people to challenge themselves and I don't want to put limitations on uh, people getting into this race that are too unrealistic. So our our qualifier is a 50 mile trail race and it has to have uh, 6,500 feet of vertical gain has to be a trail. Um, And so that kind of helps a little bit in my mind. Um, it, It at least takes people away from, this is my first ultra. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. That's yeah. a really bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
this is, I do consider this one of the most technical higher, like you're, it's hard and it's not just, there's, there's a lot of factors. And I think that's, what's hard for people to understand is all of the different factors put together. It's not the highest race in the world. We get up to 11,000 feet at one point or uh, 10,000. I think it's 10,200. I can't remember how much conical is, Um, but you do get high. So for a flatlander, for someone in lower elevations or Florida or Texas, which I do have people from Florida or Texas running, um, that's going to, you know, elevation is going to be an issue. Um, And then the footing is absolutely horrible. Not selling this for you really well, but (laughs) (laughs) there's there's quite a bit of vert, but it's deceiving vert. Uh, The bear has very similar vert, but it's. I, I find the bear is a lot more runnable. It's it's uh, up and down and it's smoother. We have vert that's just long and technical and relentless. And some of them are very steep climbs. And then we have climbs coming out of sunlight that you can't fall or it's going to be bad. Wow. <laughs> so you have to scoot on your butt if you're scared of heights. Um for some, it's not an issue. For others, it's the most terrifying thing they've ever gone down. So it's just, it's relative, I guess. Um, so yeah, you you come, you show up. There's no cell phone service at the finish line. And that's where you check in on Thursday. Um, it, there's free camping on on pub, or on private land. And everyone, there's a huge, we're in a huge hay field. Um, you'll see the arch and it's very low key. There's no vendors. There's no like big extravagant party set up. It's very old school by design. Um, it's very, uh, come say hi to your buddy, meet some new friends, um, share a meal, that kind of vibe to it. Um, and then you take a shuttle bus in the morning at 4am and you get on that bus and you go to the start line, which is again to another private land, which this year, um, the landowner still had the cows in the pasture that we set up the start. So I had to set up a little electric <laughs> fence on the outside perimeter. There's cows all around looking at us, mooing at us. There was a few bulls behind one of the homesteads. It was great. <laughs> I mean, that, but that adds into the Montana experience. I think that's what you're yes. looking for. I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I think that's kind of a cool, cool scenario. I mean, we, we do an event up in, uh, up in winter park area of Colorado and we see moose all the time. And that's like one of the big draws that we always have is like, yeah, there's going to be moose in this area of the course and everything else. And yeah, so I, I think I there are, I to, saw a moose last. Yeah. It just adds to the experience. So I think yeah. that's kind of, it's just, I don't know. It adds to the character of the event though. And then something like when that, something like that happens, I'm sure that's not been the case both, you know, the, the last couple of years, but you know, it, it adds to the character for sure. Yeah, you're probably going to see moose. You're with, you will see goats. Um, we see them every year on the course. Uh, last, the first year, one of our local guys was face to face with a mountain lion in the middle of the dark. So that was fun. Wow. <laughs> well, that, that brings, that brings up a great, really great question as far as like, so you, you know, going through some of these, you know, mountain areas that aren't, like you said, well-traveled at all. Um, so the trail, that's why some of the trails are so technical is because there's not a lot of foot traffic there, but it also means that there's going to be a lot of wildlife. Like what, what, what would people expect? I mean, obviously you just said that there was a mountain lion situation. I mean, is there anything like 
have you had any, you haven't had any issues whatsoever? Do you may, or do you make no. your runners carry anything to help yeah, out? In I, scenario? I highly recommend bear spray. It's not mandatory because again, this race is an old school vibe with quite a bit of new, new school things, I guess you could call it. Like we have live tracking for the race. That's purely for safety. Um, everyone carries a, a tracking device on them, but, uh, I don't want to hold everyone's hand completely. I want, I want it to be somewhat feeling of this is how it used to be. I, I used to, when I learned how to run, I, Nikki Kimball was one of, is one of my really good friends. She taught me how to run. She taught me how to run long distances. And she always tells me stories about how it used to be. And, you know, you'd, you'd run into an aid station and they'd have like a couple Gatorades and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that was all you got. And you left and you had a fanny pack or like <laughs> the Nalgene bottle that you were carrying, or it was just like, fend for yourself, do this, you know, the hard way. You have like a little Timex watch, like that's kind of where I want to lean towards, but also we do live in the day we live in. So I can't go quite that far, but if it was completely up to me, I would give someone a paper map and say, have fun, but yeah, we just don't do that anymore. <laughs> don't, don't get eaten. Here you go. Don't get eaten. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of wildlife, but the good thing about being in a place where animals aren't used to humans is that they have the, the relationship between human and wildlife is a lot more respectful because the yeah. animals are scared of you. They're not used yep. to you. The other issue is they're curious. So they're probably watching you, but you know, I'm not going to say nothing will ever happen because (laughs) you'd be a liar. And it will. (laughs) I mean, we had a grizzly bear sighting in the crazies a couple of weeks before the race started. And it was the first confirmed grizz sighting. And I'm like, well, Here we go. Guess what? <laughs> Grizzly bears live in the mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Carry your bear spray. <laughs> what um what kind of course support do you guys have? Um, and where where can where do you are you able to position in a lot of that stuff? Like yeah. So we have we use our local ham radio club. Those guys are absolutely awesome. They're some of my favorite people. It's just these like kind of this radio club full of later aged guys that just Mm -hmm. love radios and I love being in their presence. They're some of the nicest guys and they have all their quirks to them. You just kind of have to learn to figure them all out. Um, They love it. They come out and camp out and run relays and we have uh, net controls and all of these repeaters set up. And so they have fun with that. Um, This year, we also added some Starlink units because some of the I mean, the crazies are like an island, basically, and you can't get uh, radio signal very well through them. Uh, The first year, we actually ended up getting a helicopter donated. We didn't get the helicopter. We had the flight time donated, and we went out and dropped a repeater on Conical Peak. It was so much fun. Um, But (laughs) a few days before the race, it got struck by lightning. (laughs) So. (laughs) <laughs> it, it was rendered useless <laughs> so uh we didn't try to do it again this year um but yeah so we have ham radio um they they do a really good job 
for the most part, but then there are some places we added Starlink because there just wasn't a great way to get uh, radio reception. So, um, and then we have, uh, we have all sorts of sweep teams. Every section has a sweep team. Um, you know, we've tweaked it here and there. The first year we found out that a lot of people drop at half moon and I just, you, you just don't know until you know. Yeah. Uh, and so we added shuttles from half moon. Um, we added front and rear sweeps for the conical peak, because once you hit cow camp, one of our aid stations, our, our cow camp aid station is an eight mile pack in by horse. So that oh. aid station gets oh. there Thursday. No, they get in there Thursday or Friday. Um, they pack in through, through a completely different drainage and they stay there until Sunday. And they're 100% remote. There's no, there's no vehicle access. There's nothing. It's okay. You can't drop there unless you're taking a helicopter. So your leg better be broke because <laughs> wow. you're not getting out of there. And it's a huge thing. <laughs> you hit it twice. So we always tell people like you hit cow camp and then you go out to half moon, which is 11 miles and you go over the highest peak of the whole race after you leave cow camp. Um, so I think I Conor. saw your, I think I saw your, your course online, right? It's like almost like a little dog leg. You're having to. Yeah. It's section a little out back. Yep. Okay. Yeah. I saw that. Okay. And that was designed because you have to go over conical peak. It's one of the best parts of the course. Um, so you go up and down to half moon. It's around 11 miles. And then there is when you have to make that decision because if you leave that aid station, you're committing to almost 20 miles of not being able to drop because you have to go back to Cal camp and then you have to go leave Cal camp and go the other direction and go up over a sunlight and drop down out of sunlight. Mm-hmm. And it's by far the hardest part of the whole course. So like you're, you're committed, you're not dropping there. It's literally impossible. There is zero vehicle access. So we have all sorts of sweep, <laughs> you know, bringing up the rear. Um, and you know, every sweep has, uh, in reaches that where they can call SOS and all of this stuff, but yeah, it's, it's pretty heavily supported. Um, and again, we've got trackers, live trackers that we use so we can watch. What's the pacer situation. I mean, are you, do you allow pacers right from the get go or is it something where, cause you obviously you said like there's, it's a lot of remote, so you can't really jump in at the midway point with your pacer and go like, how does that work for your, for your race? Yeah, you can, you can start at half moon aid station oh, you can. right there. Okay. That's the, uh, the kind of crux of the race. Cause yeah, you can't start at Cal camp because you can't get there. Um, and Ibex is only 18 miles in, so you can't start there. Um, but yeah, yeah. Most pacers start at half moon. It's where I would start. I actually have a girlfriend that's, <laughs> if she doesn't get pregnant this year, she's going to run my race. And she's the one that has helped me put this together. She's been the one that, uh, if you like when I was looking at, at routes and trying to see if they actually existed, she was the one that went with me. So we were bushwhacking a lot. <laughs> 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 um, so I was like, you of all people, I would love to see you run this. And if she does, then I'm going to have to find like someone to take my spot for a section of the race. And I want to pace her from, from half moon to sunlight. I just want to see it during the race. Um, this year I did, I took my son and we hiked up from half moon to conical peak just to kind of cheer on the runners. And, um, it was wild. Like 
every year so far, which has only been two, it's been a huge thunder lightning storm up on Conical during the race. Mm -hmm. And a lot of, you know, it catches a lot of people off guard um, because you're, you're really out there. Um, And if you're not used to that, it's not going to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Hail, lightning, you know, clouds, you can't see hardly in front of you. We went up there. It was, I had so much fun um, being out there and cheering them on. So, um, but I've never seen cow camp during the race and it's just killing me. I have huge FOMO. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's, they dress up like cows they have a huge party it's 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 wild oh, cool. i i want to see it so bad <laughs> <laughs> what um from a volunteer perspective do you i mean are the are a lot of the local um ranchers and and people are like really willing to jump in because it's such a local race like how what's what how do you navigate that yeah we have a ton of volunteers i've over around 150 people come out each year to help. And it's all local, okay. a mixture between local ranchers, local runners, local, just outdoor enthusiasts. I have a really, really good team of people. Most, a majority of my aid stations are year to year and they want to keep coming back forever. And mm-hmm. um, a few of them haven't, we haven't quite settled on that situation yet, but uh, for the most part, it's, I have more help than I can use. Yeah. I, I, which that's which just a always a great yes problem to have. <laughs> yes. We have I, I say this all the time, but I'm I'm serious. Like we have the the best community. Like I I can't even explain it. Like everyone out here just loves being outside and loves helping. Um and I just can't thank them ever enough because it, and it, these are all like good friends of mine that just they're also runners or um whatever they're into, they just love to help. So like, we just have a really stoked community of people. And everyone says that when they finish this race, that they've never seen better volunteers in their life. Everyone was so excited to help them. It just, it completely makes this race what it is. And mm-hmm. I I don't know what I would do without that tight knit community that we have. We have one aid station called Honey Trail and it's all of my friends who are kettle ranchers. And at first we were going to have them bring one of my friends, Craig and Taryn have this, um, they have wagons and they have a team of horses that they pull their old, old style wagons with like mm-hmm. the canvas top and everything. But the, the way to get in there is far too steep. So when we were kind of scouting it out, they're like, I don't, we don't think this is going to work. Uh, it, it might work, but it's going to be super sketchy. <laughs> you just, you can't pull a team or wagon up stuff like that. So they ended up not bringing the wagon, but they still pack in um, with a mixture of horses and donkeys and mules and um, side-by-sides and this and that. And they just camp out in their tents. And now it's become the aid station with the cowboys. And uh, you're more than likely going to be offered wild turkey at, you know, 7 (laughs) a.m. And a lot of runners actually partake in it. Uh, but that's again that's i think that's what makes events mm-hmm. like this you know the just the experience of it right and that's yeah. you know you got to have something unique and something that people can go and talk to talk about and you know like you're you know something like that it's it just makes the experience what it is you know for the runners like do you how many runners do you have you typically had and do you see a lot of them come in from 
different parts across the country? Or is it mostly like local Montana based you know, runners? That's what's cool about this is that since we've not had a local hundred, it's the most congested amount of Montanans. And again, like we have a really stacked amount of really good mountain runners out here and we all travel, you know, we all have to go somewhere to to find a mountain race. So it's really fun to see that many Montana runners all in one area on our own turf. Mm -hmm. It's just like, I don't know, it's, it's something else. But yeah, we have people from all over. Um, I think the farthest this year is someone from like Lithuania came. Oh. Um, we have a lot of Canadians. Um, we have some people from France. We yeah, they come from all over. But yeah, majority is Montana, just the nature of the of the area. But they do come from all over the place. But the first year we had uh, 150, so I was permitted for 150 last year. And uh, or the first year, and we sold out, and then we had a wait list. But natural attrition of that, you know, most races don't start full. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we ended up starting with 132 that the first year. I might be off a couple, and then uh, we we had around 70 something finishers, so it was 55 percent finish rate. So I wasn't sure what to think for this year because I added. The forest permitted me for 200 this year to back up a little bit. I don't want this race to ever become something that's a thousand people, which it would never happen. The forest wouldn't even let me do that. I would never allow that to happen. I, I want this to be very small. I want it to be a small impact. I want to leave it better than when I came. Um, that's just part of my core values of why I put it on this event. Um, I never want it to become something that's this like hindrance or this horrible Mm -hmm. thing that happens in the mountains and trashes it. So it'll never be a big race. Um, I always said it'll never be over 250 to 300, but even the more I think about it, I don't even know if I'll ever go over 200 to be honest, just because I think 200 right now is a good number. Um, you just, I just don't want that much impact on the train. So anyways, we, we talked this last year and upped it to 200 and then with the extra 50, we sold out in three days this year, which absolutely blew my mind. Um, we added the 50 spots, I think only like a week or two before the race opened registration. So I just wasn't sure like what to expect. And we hit 150 within a few hours of opening. And then it took, it was two and a half days to get the rest of them. But again, had a wait list. We know how that goes. Um, we ended up starting with, I think, 175 or so. But then we had like a 70-something percent finish rate this year. We had over oh. around 150 finishers. So it was crazy. Or maybe it was 150. I don't know. It was a 70-something percent finish rate. Whatever that math is. I that <laughs> <laughs> but because of that... Because we had over 100 finishers, that's why we were able to get that Western qualification. Yeah. So good job, runners. <laughs> I taught them. A hundred of you have to finish, have to cross that finish line. And I'm not, I, I threatened to bring the cattle prod to the last aid station and prod people across just to make sure they finished. <laughs> so the, the events in July, have you guys opened up registration already? Or is no, that, so or that you... always will be the second Sunday in December. 
again okay. by design. Uh, I want it to be after the big the big lotteries, mm-hmm. um, just because I do consider this similar to like kind of a hard rock feel. Um, yeah. So I want people to find that out first before they register for my race. So we have yeah. less drops because you get in a hard rock, you're going to drop out of the crazies for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're Dave Smith, then you're going to run them all. <laughs> um, oh, and I do have, there was a runner that was attempting to run hard rock, Uray, and the crazy mountain hundred in three back-to-back weekends. He didn't make it, but I do have a custom made buckle. It's called the Uray crazy hard ass award buckle. Oh, so if anyone's out there and they get into hard rock and they want to try, I have a custom made silver buckle for you and you will win that along with the belt buckle for the race. If you complete all three of those races. So it's up for grabs. I'm just saying, (laughs) just, just throwing that out there, you know, (laughs) just throwing that out there. It's a really dumb idea, but someone, you know what? Somebody has it. Has anybody completed it yet? No. No. Well, see, somebody. There's always, there's, there's always there's always that first person, uh, the first yeah. time. Somebody's gonna do it. Somebody. I'll will... post. I'll post a picture of the buckle to tease <laughs> some people. First steps getting into hard rock. Once you do that, you might as well make three more bad decisions. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, if you if you're listening in and, and haven't had a chance to even check out the website, like the photos and the videos you've got on your website are absolutely stunning from the race perspective of it. So if you want kind of that feel of what it looks like, then definitely go check out the, check out the website. Cause I was looking at the first time I was like, these pictures are just epic is the visuals and the scenery and, and everything else that, that people have a chance to see. It's so go check that out. Um, I can't thank you enough, Megan, for, for jumping on and chatting about the, crazy mountain hundred and, and kind of the backstory of it and stuff. Like I said, I, as a, as a director myself, like it's so cool to see how some of these events pop up and what, what people have to go through. I think that's some of the biggest misconception with being a race owner sometimes is as, as a runner, I, I truly feel that people just like, Hey, this stuff just pops up, right? Like, Oh, the start line pops up here. The finish line pops up here. Some of the A stations, they don't really know what, some of the back work is on it and how much of it, how much time goes into some of this stuff. And it's when people want to get into being a race director and I get this all the time, like, Oh yeah, I was, I was thinking about just, just putting on a, you know, a, a quick 50 mile race or a half marathon or whatever it is. I'm like, well, like, <laughs> have you yeah. got, a, have you, yeah. Have you got a few months to like even get started on the research aspect of it? Cause it's going to take you a good, year to at least get your bearings with everything well and it's like having another child or another spouse no a hundred percent over your life a hundred percent so it it's i appreciate you taking the time to get this going you know get this conversation in and i know you're very busy um making me do this at 6 45 in the morning here in california thank you (laughs) (laughs) i gotta go cut hay well i know you you got the ranch thing that you have to worry about so i it's i appreciate you just just getting on here and and talking with you so thank you very much i will yes definitely put the website on the show notes and uh your instagram information as well so that way people can check out ask questions um if need be and and hopefully 
there's a few people that are listening in on this that are going to want to check out the race and get up there to Montana for sure. Get that belt buckle. The Trail Life Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Stoner. Music is provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts, the licks written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to The Trail Life Podcast on Spotify, Amazon, Apple, or anywhere you find your favorite podcast episodes. Thank you again, everyone, and we'll see you out on the trails real soon.